Amen. Awesome. So as you turn to, to Romans chapter 8, again, we've been just kind of plying our way through the book of Romans. And uh, we're uh, in chapter 8, just an interesting chapter. Um, if you look at it, we see that, that chapter 8 is kind of a, a response, a response to the statements made by Paul in Romans chapter 7. And so actually, if you remember, uh, as we were reading chapter 7 last week of the book of Romans, we see that, that, that Paul kind of just described his frustration. Man, he was frustrated. Right? He spent all the first few chapters describing how, uh, how, how the law can't save us, how, how, how these works you know, do, don't do anything for our salvation. And though we are not born again by the Spirit, and though now we're under a different law, that is the law of the Holy Spirit, Paul expresses how, how in his heart he desires to please God. And if you remember some of Paul's famous words there in chapter 7, Paul expressing, he says, man, he says, I don't get it. What I want to do for God, the good things I want to do for God, he says, I don't end up doing them. He says, and what I don't want to do, what I never see myself doing, he says, I end up falling into those things. He says, and so I see that there's a, there's a, a law waging war in my mind, that the law of the spirit and the law of the flesh, right? And so Paul was expressing his frustration as now of being a Christian, man, probably one of the most influential Christians who ever lived. Right? Paul the Apostle, whom God used to plant churches all over Asia Minor, whom God used to, to write most of the New Testament, uh, who, who, Paul, who, who God used to, to raise up other, other teachers there in these, in these areas. And yet he himself was saying, man, he says, I don't get it. I want to do good, but I don't, I don't end up doing that good. Right? I end up doing what I don't want to do. And if you're like Paul, right, then you're in good company. If you've ever experienced that and you're a Christian walk, then you're in good, in good company with the Apostle Paul and with many of us here who just have in our heart to please God. We want to please God. We know how to please God, but yet we don't end up pleasing God by our actions because our sin just kind of, our sinful nature just kind of overpowers us sometimes. And so chapter 8 is actually a response now to, to, to Romans chapter 7. And so we're going to see that in chapter 8, Paul's going to describe that blessedness of the victory over the flesh through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Chapter 7 ended with Paul saying, Oh, what a miserable person I am. And then he says, Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then he says, Man, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And so chapter 7 ends that way. But chapter 8 begins with begins with him saying uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus beautiful words and so beginning there in chapter 8 he says there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit he says for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made, has made me free from the law of sin and of death and then he says in verse 3, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, he says, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He says he condemned sin in the flesh. So he begins by saying, hey, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he ends in verse 4 and he says, But there is condemnation for the flesh, for the sin in the flesh. Right? There's no condemnation there. Now, therefore, to those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that. Because it's something that Jesus said there in John chapter 3 as he's talking to Nicodemus. Remember he said in John 3, 17, he says, Hey, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through, my, through me might be saved. 
And so if you're like the Apostle Paul, if you could kind of kind of relate to, to what he's going through, right? Trying to please God, but just, man, I can't find a way to do it because my sinful nature just has a, gets the best of me sometimes and I end up doing what I don't want to do. And you get, and, and oftentimes you see that, that when we feel like we failed God or we feel like, you know, we didn't measure up to what we were, we were aiming for, man, we fall into this little pit of condemnation. And, and, and not wanting to, but man, it's just our nature, right? Our human nature condemns us. And we fall into this little pit and we're like, man, I shouldn't have done this. How could I do that? It's been so long. All, this, all these different things that come to mind. And you feel condemned. And yet notice that Paul says, hey, man, it's not God who condemns you. He says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, he says, for the law of the spirit of life, of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. And so Paul says, hey, we're under a new law now, right? It's not about the Old Testament law, that law of Moses, the keeping of the Ten Commandments, right? If we were under that law, man, we'd all be condemned. We'd all be miserable failures because none of us could keep that law, right? Even if you don't, you don't uh, fail the law outwardly, you fail it inwardly in your heart, right? So none of us can measure up to that law. And so the law is used as a measuring tape to kind of show how short we fall from the glory of God. But Paul says, look, us as believers, we're under a new law now. He says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And he says, this law has made us free. And so we see that the law of the spirit is greater than the law of sin and death or that, that Old Testament law. Right? He says, because it has accomplished what the old law could not do. And so what the old law could not do, that is, the old law could not make us perfect in Christ. The old law cannot make us righteous before the God. It could show us how far we've, we, we've fallen from the righteousness of Christ, but it can't make us righteous, right? Keeping the law cannot make you righteous because as soon as you try to keep the law, you're going to see how hard it is and how short you fall. But he says, hey, there's a new law now in operation in the life of the believer, and that's the law of the Holy Spirit. And the law of the Holy Spirit did what the old law couldn't do. He says, and this was possible you know, because... What the law required, it could simply just not be fulfilled by me. Why? Because my uh, sinful nature, my sin, right? My sinful flesh, it, it, it messed it up. It messed it up, right? My sinful nature is inclined to rebel against the law of God. Right? We mentioned it last week. It's like there's this, there's this unspoken law within us, right? That we just want to rebel against the law. We want to rebel against authority. You're walking down a building and there's a sign that says, Wet paint, do not touch. First thing you do, right? There's this law within us that just, it, it's driving us to sin. It's driving us to rebellion against God and more inwardly against that, that, that law of God in our hearts. And so Paul says, hey, look, with that law of God, that, that the Ten Commandments, what, what, what the law couldn't do, he says, the Holy Spirit did. And so what did God do? You know, what did God do in order to, to fulfill this law? Paul says, he sent his son, notice, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Right? And so when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He died a perfect Savior. Right? The Bible tells us that, that, that Jesus uh, took on humanity. He was 100% God, 100% man. Not 50-50. When Jesus was on earth, He was 100% man, 100% God. And in His humanity, He was like us. He got hungry. He got tired. He got sleepy. Right? He got angry. A righteous anger. And so He took on humanity right now notice that Paul says that he, he took on uh, notice that Paul said he didn't say 
he took on sinful flesh, but Paul, inspired through the Holy Spirit, says that 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 uh, he took on uh, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, not in sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. And so the Bible tells us again that Jesus took on humanity; he became like us, though he did not sin. Right? Because if he would have sinned, then that means that his sacrifice would have been of no effect. But he did not sin. The Bible tells us there in Hebrews 4.15 it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's amazing. That God the Son will leave the glory of heaven, will leave the worship of millions and billions and trillions of angels 24-7. God the Son will leave the glory of the Father, the presence, being in the presence of the Father. He would take on humanity, become like one of us, Allow himself to be tempted just like all of us are tempted, but yet not sin. And he did it for us. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, look, he did it for us so that, so that he can know how to sympathize with us. You may think, man, I'm struggling with this, but how can I talk to God about it? Hey, man, Jesus went through it. Hey, I'm struggling with that, with this, with the other. How can, you know, I confess this to God. What's what he going to think about me? Hey, man, Jesus went through it. He took on humanity and he was, notice he says, he, he was tempted in all points. In all points, meaning in all areas, he was tempted just like we are, but yet he did not give in to sin. And so we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, right, who can relate to us in our weaknesses. God is not so far, you know, far, far from us that nah, he's like unattainable. Nah, you know, he came down, and he became like us, so we can relate to him like this, right? That's amazing. And so we see that the righteous requirement. It says he says so that the righteous requirement may be fulfilled in us. That is that righteous requirement of the law, right? The law requires perfection. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not sin, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not uh, use uh, uh, God's name in vain, thou shalt honor your mother and, and father, right? All these different things. It requires perfection. You go through every single one of those laws and the outcome is, man, you got to be a perfect person to fulfill this law, which none of us are. And so we see that the righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled in us. You know, not by us, but, but, but in us. You may, be at, you may ask yourself, well, how's that even possible, man? I know myself. I know I haven't fulfilled no righteous law. I know I'm far from it. So how's that even possible? Again, Romans 8.1. Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are, notice that, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. That's how it's possible. Because now, as New Testament believers, now as born-again Christians... The Bible says that, hey, we're now in Christ. And the Spirit of God is in us. For now we're in Christ. Like that bookmark. And you're using your Bible. This is us. And this is Christ. Amen. We're in Christ. Wherever Christ goes, we're there. Right? We're now in Christ. And so Paul says, hey, there's, no, there's now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But notice, and so we see that that, that, that now that righteousness is transferred over to our account because of our belief. Simply because we believed in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, His righteousness is now transferred over into our account. It's like, man, if you go to, let's say you go to the bank and, and all of a sudden someone deposits money without you knowing, you go check your bank account, you think, man, I thought I was broke, but somebody deposited money into my bank account. That means it's yours, right? No one can take it out except you. And that's what God did. The moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God deposited the righteousness of Christ into your spiritual bank account. And no one can take that away from you. That's 
absolutely nobody. Right? But notice verse 4. Again, it says, there in verse 4 it says, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, it's a beautiful promise, but it's a promise with a condition. If you notice that, it's a, it's a conditional promise. Right? He says, that it was fulfilled in us, and this is the condition, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so it takes this, this continual giving over of ourselves to the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're going to walk without stumbling. It doesn't mean you're not going to make a mistake. But it does mean that you're going to purpose in your heart to give yourself wholly to the Holy Spirit. Give yourself wholly to the Lord. Lord, I'm completely yours. Have your way with me. I'm giving over to the Holy Spirit. In all ways, in all areas, my whole life is yours. Right? Again, you're going to walk. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. Hey, but you're going to purpose in your heart to no matter what, continue walking with Him. No matter what, no matter what may come. Right? So it doesn't mean we're not going to mistake, make mistakes. But it does mean that we're going to purpose in our heart to continue yielding to the Holy Spirit. No matter what. And this is an everyday thing. Every single day, each and every one of us, you wake up in the morning and you have a decision to make. Am I going to yield to the flesh or am I going to yield to the Spirit? Right? I love before I get out of the bed and, and, and start my day, man, I give my life to the Lord. Lord, use me today. Father, I'm yours today. I guarantee you if you leave your house without saying that, without giving yourself to the Lord, you're already defeated. You walk out of that door already defeated. And so I encourage you guys, man, the moment you wake up, Lord, do whatever you want with me today. It doesn't have to be this lengthy prayer where you on your knees and if you want to, that's cool. But man, just, just simply just say, Lord, do what you want with me today. I'm yours. The moment you walk out, out of your house without doing that, you're defeated already. And so Paul says, look, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now when he says, who do not walk, it's, he, he's describing the person who is just habitually unrestrained, just giving himself over to the flesh. Right? Not the not the believer who is struggling, not the believer who is maybe having a hard time, and not the believer who maybe is just falling short, going just getting beat up left and right. No. Same man to that believer who has made up his mind to walk with the Lord no matter what. Right? There's no condemnation. And that righteous requirement of the law is now fulfilled in us. And he goes on to say in verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. He says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. He says, it's life and it's peace. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity or at odds against God. He says, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. Verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Plain and simple. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so, you might be asking yourself, well, how do I know if I'm walking according to the flesh or to the Spirit? Right? Paul's exhorting me, he's encouraging me, all right? Walk in the Spirit. Uh, those who do not, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, man, how do I know if I'm walking according to the Spirit? And so Paul says it right there. He says, well, where's your mindset at? Right? Where is your mindset at? Again, verse, verse 5. Who do, For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. And so if you want to know if you're walking according to the Spirit or according to the flesh, ask yourself, man, what am I setting my mind on every day? 
the pastor at, at, at Diamond Bar, I remember, he, he says it often, but uh, he, he says, hey man, he says, uh, you should do this. He says, if you want to know where your life is at with the Lord, do this. Get a piece of paper and uh, every 30 minutes, write down what you did. Every 30 minutes. All right, watch TV for 30 minutes. Read the Bible for 30 minutes. Did this for 30 minutes. At the end of the day, go through the whole paper and see how much of your time you dedicated to the Lord and how much time you dedicated to yourself or to other things. He says, and you'll know where your life is at. You'll know, in the, you'll know in the direction that your life is going. And so, how do I know if I'm walking according to the flesh or to the spirit? Well, where is your mindset at? Right? What is it that consumes your thoughts day and night? Is it work? Is it money? Is it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, a part of life, position, titles, whatever it may be? Right? Is it things of this world? Is it things to, 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 to please your flesh? Is it how can I please my flesh or how can I please God? Right? It's, I think it's a, it's a valid question for all of us as believers. And he says, to be carnally minded leads to death. He says, because you're constantly looking for ways to fill that, that Jesus-sized hole in your heart. He says, to be carnally minded is death. Why? Because there's this Jesus-sized hole in your life, and you're constantly trying to fill it with things of the world. And it's hard. Why? Because none of it fits. It's like, you feel like the crazy guy trying to fit a circle in a square, and it's just not fitting. But he says, to be carnally minded is death because you're trying to fill that Jesus-sized hole in your heart with the things of the world and it's tiring, right? It's tiring. And you, see, you soon find out that, man, it's impossible because the flesh is never satisfied. And so living after the flesh, living after your carnal desires, living after the, the things that, that your body wants, man, it, it, it leads to death. Why? Because the, 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 the carnal desire of the flesh is never satisfied. It's like your flesh lies to you and says, all right, just do it one more time and that's it. I'll be satisfied. And you do it and it's like, man, I want more. And you're like, oh man, you lied to me again. And you fall into it again. You're like, man, you lied to me again. That's what it is, right? That's the struggle of the flesh. The flesh lies to you and says, hey, all right, just one more time, one more time. And, and the, the reality is that there is no one more time, right? The flesh is just like this gaping black hole that just sucks all the life out of you and is never fulfilled, right? This is Proverbs and Proverbs 2720, that says, Hell and destruction are never full. And so the eyes of man are never satisfied. It says, just like hell and destruction are never full, it says the eyes of man are never satisfied. And if you're living a life as a Christian, pursuing, chasing after the things of the flesh, the things of, of, of your carnal mind, then you're never going to be satisfied. It's going to lead to death. Why? Because it's exhausting. It's going to drain you. The only remedy for the flesh, the Bible tells us, the only remedy for the flesh is to starve it. Man, starve it to death. That's the only remedy. That's the only remedy. Starve, starve your flesh to death. Deny yourself. Right? Jesus would say there in the Gospel of Luke, He says, hey, whoever wants to follow after me, whoever wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow after me. Right? To the person who was, who was listening at, at that time in Jesus' time, man, for, to, for them to hear a rabbi, for them to hear Jesus say, hey, pick up your cross and follow me, they would have been like, no way, man. Why? Because the cross was an instrument of death. It was an instrument of shame. There in, in, in Israel at the time, uh, Rome was, was, was governing over Israel, and, and people were getting crucified every day. Hundreds of people were getting crucified every day. And it was a shameful thing. Why? Because modern, uh, the crucifixion took place in a public place. Right? They would crucify somebody in the public, public square so that people would walk by, they would be able to read the little plaque on their cross 
this guy was being crucified for this is that they would be able to mock him throw rocks at him spit on him yell crazy things at him it was a shameful thing and jesus would say hey you gotta you want to be my follower you want to be my disciple take up that shameful instrument of death and follow me right it means a death to self but in contrast he says but to be spiritually minded is life he says it's not just life but it's also peace right man that huge contrast to be carnally minded, death. But to be spiritually minded, life. And not just life, peace. I love this scripture in Isaiah 26, 3, where he says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect, in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Meaning the person, to the person, this is a promise. Man, this is a promise you could write down and, and, and take for yourself and claim and say, Lord, you promised. He said, to the person who fixes their mind on the Lord, God says, hey, you will keep him, I'll keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. Amazing. Philippians 4, 6-7. Another promise of peace. That Paul actually tells us, he says, hey, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. It is the end of peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's a promise. It's another promise that you can take for yourself. Be anxious for nothing. Man, what are you anxious about this morning? Is it your marriage? Is it your family? Is it your job? Is it your finances? Is it your personal life? What's causing you to lose sleep at night? What's causing you to wake up in the middle of the night with cold sweat saying, man, I just can't do this anymore. What's causing you that anxiety? The Bible would say, hey, don't be anxious for that, but instead, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, give it over to the Lord. You know, let your request be made known to God. What is it that you've been seeking answers for? What is it that's, again, kept you up at night? Give it to the Lord, he says. Give it to the Lord. And there's a promise that says, when you do that, it says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And he says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. That word enmity. In the Greek, it's a word, uh, ekthra. Which means to be hostile, you know, to be in opposition, uh, to hate. And so he says the carnal mind is hostile against God. The carnal mind is in opposition to God. The carnal mind hates God. The carnal mind th hates the things of God. And if you ever needed a reason to kill your flesh, if you ever needed a reason to starve your flesh... If you ever need a reason to starve those carnal desires within you, this should be it. That carnal mind, that carnal desire that each and every one of us was born with, hates God, is hostile against the things of God, is in direct opposition to God, and wants to kill you. That carnal mind wants to kill you. Right? It wants to draw out any hope, any life, any, any, any hope of, a, of an afterlife, any hope that you have in God, it wants to kill that, that carnal mind. Right, and the more we give ourselves over to our carnal mind, the more we feed our carnal desires, man, the more dead we become. And if you were going to say there in verse 9, he says, 
but you are not in the flesh. He says, but you're in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. You are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. He says, now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he says, he's not his. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. He says, and if Christ is in you, then the body is dead. He says, because of sin. But the spirit is life because of his righteousness. In verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amazing. As Paul's now talking about that indwelling spirit. Right? And that's a promise that all of us have as believers. That the moment you believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, the moment that you make him your Lord and Savior, and believe on, on what he did on the cross and his resurrection, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God now indwells you. doesn't matter if you've been walking with the Lord for 10 years or 10 seconds. The moment you believe, hey, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Right? Paul will say in 1 Corinthians that, that your body is a temple now of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the, that the that this Holy Spirit now dwells inside of you. That's heavy. You really think about it. That the Spirit of Almighty God dwells in my puny little body. And you say, yeah, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Right? And he says, because we have been born again, right, we have the Spirit dwelling in us. And then he says, because the Spirit dwells in us, hey, we have power over the flesh. We have power over the flesh because the Spirit of God dwells in us. You think about it, that's heavy. If the Spirit of God was able to raise Christ from the dead, then what's sin in, in, in our lives? You know, what, what is it that the Holy Spirit can do in our lives? If the Holy Spirit can raise the body of the Messiah from the dead. Then what's, letting, what's limiting the Holy Spirit from working on our lives? Right? From giving us victory over that sin, that temptation, the thing that, 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 that plagues us. Right? The Holy Spirit dwelling in us is our mark of identification with God, Paul will say. Right? And then he says, he who does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. Plain and simple. He who does not have the Spirit of Christ is not his. He says, if a person is not filled with the Spirit then they are not a Christian at all. Right? I know as believers and in the Christian church, right, I mean, we, we hear that, that term all the time, like, hey, man, you got to be filled with the Spirit. you got to be filled with the Spirit. And, and I mean, and breaking it down theologically, we're already all filled with the Spirit. The moment we believed in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit filled us. Right? Anything that comes after that is an overfilling. Right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. The coming upon of the Holy Spirit on us. Right? The overflowing of the Holy Spirit. But Paul will say, but if someone lacks the Holy Spirit at all, he says, man, I would question their salvation. Right? If you don't see the mark of the Holy Spirit in your life, then, then, then question really if, if, if Christ is your Lord, if you really surrender your life to the Lord. During the book of Ephesians, another letter that Paul wrote, he will say this in Ephesians 1, 13, 14, talking about the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. He would say, in Him, that's in Christ, in Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. He says, in whom also, having believed, because you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. What does that even mean? He says, in Him you also trusted after you heard the gospel. He says, when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so Paul is saying this, the moment you believe, God put a stamp on you. He put a seal on you. That is the seal of the Holy Spirit on your life. Because you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
He says, and this seal of the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our, our inheritance. Now, what Paul's talking about there, in the life of the believer, he says, hey man, this, this guarantee, actually the Greek word is, is one word. The guarantee of, is, in the Greek, is only one word. It's that word arabon, which, which talks about uh, this earnest or this definition. It says, money which is in, which in purchases is given as a pledge or a down payment that the full amount will eventually be paid. And so when you give your life to the Lord and He sends the Holy Spirit to come and indwell you, it's like God saying, all right, look, I'm going to come back for you. And just so you know that I'm going to come back for you and just so you know that you belong to me, I made you mine. He says, I'm going to give you a down payment. And that down payment is the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so Paul would say in Romans, and if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, that means that you don't really belong to the Lord. Right? If I go and offer up right now, I'm going to go buy a car. So, oh man, look, I saw your car. That you want 2000 bucks for it? Let me send you $500 just as a down payment so you know that I'm going to come back and I'm going to, give you, I'm going to pay you in full. And that's what the Lord did. Is that He sent His Holy Spirit as a down payment in our lives to assure us and to reassure us that, hey, look, you belong to me. Right? I've sealed you. I'm yours. You're mine. And, and one day you're going to be with me fully. Right? I'm going to redeem you unto myself. Right? It's beautiful when you think about it. And you were going to say there in verse 12. He says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Right? Whenever you see that word therefore in the Bible, it's always good to ask yourself, what's it there for? And it's always pointing to the previous statement. And so he says, therefore, because now we have the Holy Spirit in us and because uh, the Spirit of, of, of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us and gives life to our bodies, it gives us power over, over the flesh, gives us victory over temptation. He says, because of that, therefore, brothers, he says, man, we're in debt, man, we're debtors. He says, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the, of the body, he says, you're going to live. And so we're indebted now to the Lord, right? Not to the flesh, but we're indebted to the Lord. Because He's given us His Holy Spirit. Because He's sealed us. Because He's saved us. Because He's forgiven us. Because He's called us righteous now in Christ. Apart from our failures, apart from our shortcomings, Jesus, man, it's like we're indebted to the Lord. Right? I remember when I first came to the Lord, then this lady was uh, doing a prayer with me and she was went on and on and sharing the gospel with me. She was speaking like in very high terms. I couldn't really understand what she was saying because I didn't know all the Christian words. But all I knew was that she said, God can forgive you of everything you've ever done. And that's like the thing that clicked in my head. Man, if I give my life to God, He can forgive me of everything I've ever done. And that's, that's, the, only, that's the only thing that, that made me want to come to the Lord. Right? He can forgive me of everything I've ever done. Right? There's people to, who to this day will not forgive me for things I've done in the past. But He says, man, God can forgive you of everything you've ever done. And that's what made me want to give my life to the Lord. And then after that moment, I, 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 I had this sense of just, man, like, I'm indebted to the Lord for what He did for me. Man, God, you did what nobody else would do. You died for me. All right, Paul would say earlier in a few, chap a few chapters earlier, he says, hey, God, God didn't die for you. He didn't send his son to die for us because we were good and righteous and holy. But he says, while you were still sin, in sin, Christ died for the ungodly. Right? It's not because we did anything to deserve it, but because God loves us. So Paul says, hey, now, now we're, we're indebted now to the Spirit, not to the flesh, to live according to our desires, Right? For our desires bring only death. Because for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, verse 14, 
These are the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God or the daughters of God. You want to know if you're a child of God? One, having the Holy Spirit. Two, and being led by the Holy Spirit. Not by our carnal desires, not by the lust of our flesh, not by our, 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 our fleshly impulses, but by the Spirit of God. All right, now being led by the Spirit is not this like holy thing where uh, you know the sun, the clouds are going to split and God's going to hear, gonna hear God say, hey, make a left or make a right. No, being led by the Spirit is just something so natural, so simple. Right, so simple. That you're being led by the Spirit without even knowing. I just started a new job on Monday and uh, the, the week before, right, when they call me for, for, for an interview, I'm like, man, Lord, is this you? I've been praying for a new job. Is this you? All right, I'm going to go for an interview. I got the job. I thought, all right, cool, maybe this is the Lord. I show up to work on Monday and uh, I'm surrounded by brothers from Calvary. I'm like, man, Lord, I think that was your will. <laughs> and I think I, I think I, I was obedient to the Spirit. Right? But I didn't know. As I went in for an interview and as I drove all the way to, to, uh, to the valley to, to, you know, to, to go interview, I didn't know it was being led by the Spirit. Why God just does it in such a natural way. He's put a spirit in us. And, and His Holy Spirit in us is what, man, is what, is what leads us. is what drives us. As we desire to be uh, submissive to the Holy Spirit's will in our lives. You'll see that God just leads you so naturally. And oftentimes He uses your own, uh, your own desires. He uses your own character. Your own, your, 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 who you are, right? Your own personality to lead you. It's amazing. And so He says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Is for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the Holy Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Notice that. That when God redeemed us, right? He called us sons, He called us daughters. He says, Look, man, when God made you a son, when God made you a daughter, He didn't give you the spirit of fear. Paul would say later on in, uh, in Tim, and I believe it's in 2 Timothy. Right, he says, hey man, he says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind, or self-control. And so if you're experiencing fear in your life, for whatever reason, hey, that's not of the Lord. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. And Paul would, would echo that again here in Romans, where he says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. When we're in the flesh, man, we're in bondage to our sin. We're in bondage to our flesh. We're in bondage to our own carnal desires. Your body is what drove you. Your carnal desires say, hey, do this, do that, indulge in that. And you just obeyed and said, all right. right? You had no restraint. But now Paul says, look, man, God didn't, 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 didn't give you a spirit of fear and a bondage to fear. He says, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Abba is actually a Hebrew word, which... Uh, we could translate our English to Daddy So he says man When God adopted us as sons As daughters He gave us that spirit Of adoption Right He adopted us into his family There in John chapter 1 uh, The writer John Right as, as, as he's talking about Jesus He says That through him You know We're called sons When we believe in Jesus We're called sons We're called daughters Right He adopted us Into his family Right, so now we could cry out, man, daddy, dad. Right? I never had that growing up. I was never able to come out, daddy, papa. Right? We didn't have the uh, perspective of a you know good godly dad and or someone who was, you know, very loving and affectionate and all these things. I guess I never really felt safe in you know my the presence of my dad. 
And how God has just adopted us. Say, look, man. Come to me. Man, call me daddy. Call me father. Right? Notice that says that, that we receive the spirit of adoption. That's, that's special. That's special. Because when you're born, man, you don't choose what family you're born into. You're just, you're just born into it. But adoption is special. I've always admired, admired families who adopt. I've always admired families who adopt because in a natural birth, you're just born into the family that you're born into, right? You have no choice in that. And your parents have no choice in that. Man, they had a kid and that's the kid they got. But an adoption, you go. You see the child. You see their history. You see what they're like. You see what they look like. You see what their character's like, their personality. You said, I want to make a mind. I want to adopt him to my family. I want to make sure he has my last name. I want to make sure that he carries, you know, uh, he has my inheritance. Whatever belongs to me and my family, it's his. It's hers. And that's the spirit that we receive. That's the position that we receive in God. And that he adopted us. I'd be honest, man. If I was on the list of adoption and I were God, I wouldn't be the first pick, man. I'd be like a bench warmer on the adoption, on the adoption list for God. I wouldn't be the first. I wouldn't be God's first pick or even his last. God would say, look, man, I see who you are. I see what you've done. I see what you've been through. I want to adopt you as my son. I want to adopt you as my daughter. It's heavy. Beautiful. That's the love of God. That's the love of your father. You'll say in verse 16, he says, And now the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do you know if you're a son of your daughter? Today, man, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. He says, and if children, then we're heirs. And heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And he says, if anyone, he says, and if any, indeed, he says, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. He says, because we've now been called sons and daughters, because we've now been adopted into the family of God, he says, we have an inheritance, Right? If there's this like super rich family or whatever and they adopt someone from an orphanage and you know, they right on the road, you know, I want everything to go to my adopted son. You know, the adoption makes them just as they were blood. And all their possessions or whatever they left in their will, man, it goes, goes carried down to now this adopted child. No matter what, man, legally, it belongs to the child. That's what God is saying. He says that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. He says, and if we're children of God, then that means we're heirs too. That means that there's an inheritance that, that, that belongs to all children of God. He says, and we're heirs. And we're heirs of God and we're joint heirs with Christ. All those, the richness of Christ. I encourage you guys on your personal time to read uh, the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is amazing because the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, before Paul's, Paul says anything about you know, what we can do for God or what our position or, or, or what we can give to God or what anything or how you can serve God. Before he says any of that, he spends three chapters of just telling us who we are in Christ. And you see this term, in Christ or in Him or uh, in God. He spends three whole chapters just saturating with just, man, this is who, we are, who you are in Christ. This is your inheritance. This is your spiritual blessing. And then three chapters later, he says, all right, now because of all this, now boom. But he spends three whole chapters just telling us our inheritance in Christ. Sons, uh, right, uh, heirs, all these different things. All the riches uh, of, of Christ that we now inherit as believers, as children of God. And then he says this in verse 18. He says, 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Man, coming from a man who suffered greatly, the Apostle Paul. Coming from a man who uh, many times, you know, was close to losing his life. One time he was stoned. He was stoned because of his witness to, for Christ. He was stoned in the city. They dragged him out of the city to die because they thought he was dead already. They dragged him out, gained consciousness. He said, oh man, I guess I, I lost consciousness there. You know, they thought I was dead. They dragged, dragged me out of the city. They didn't even give me a proper burial. He comes back to consciousness. He says, all right, got to go back and preach. Right? Paul, who would say, man, he was whipped uh, 40 minus one times. All these things that Paul suffered, eventually he would be beheaded there in Rome. And he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, because I consider that all the suffering I'm going through, Paul would say, so man, he says, it doesn't even compare. It's not, it's not even worthy of comparison with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What is it that you're going through? What is it that your family is going through? What is it that you're conflicted with this morning? What is it that's plaguing you? What is that suffering that you're kind of just man, dragging along your Christian walk now? Paul says, hey man, the sufferings of this present time. There's a lot of sufferings in this present time. Each and every one of us has our own sufferings in this present time. But Paul will look at it with this heavenly perspective. Right? And really that's what changes everything. When you look at it through the lens of, lenses of heaven. Put on your eternity goggles and you look at your life and your situation and your circumstances and your sufferings through those heavenly goggles. He says, they're not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's the key. Looking at life, looking at our circumstances through the lens of eternity. And eternity is, has no beginning, has no end. My circumstances, my sufferings, they have a beginning and they have an end. I'm thankful for seasons because every season has an end. Right? I'm thankful that, man, that things don't last forever. If they did, I'd be miserable. But when we look at it through the lenses of eternity, man, it puts everything into perspective. He says, for the earnest expectation, verse 19, of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. He says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. He says, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Man, God's going to make everything new. Right? I had an awesome time going through the book of Revelation because you get to that final chapter, chapter 21 and 22, where God says, and behold, I make all things new. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. For the former things have passed away and everything will be made new. I'm looking forward to that day. Right? No more temptation. Man, thank God. No more, no more suffering. Man, thank God. No more pain, no more death. Man, thank you, Lord. He says, verse 22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with, with birth pains together until now. He says, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. He says, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? He says, but if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance and so Paul says look there's this eagerness in us if you've sensed it there's this eagerness of like man when's it all going to be over 
There's this eagerness in us as, as believers. We're like, man, we want to be with the Lord already. Man, Lord, take this away already. Right? All these different things. God, I just want to be in your presence. I don't understand why these things happen. And Paul says that in itself is proof that we were created for something more than this. He says, look at creation, man. Even creation itself is like groaning. If creation had a voice, if the world, if nature had a voice, it would be like oh, just groaning to be redeemed also, right? Because, man, we live in a fallen world where things are just being getting corrupted more and more every day. And Paul says, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. He says, for why does one still hope for what he sees? So he says, man, we hope for this even though we can't see it. He says, and God made it that way. Because if we could see it, then we wouldn't hope for it. Right? But I was hoping that someone would bring me a, a bottle of water. I see it. I don't have to hope for it anymore because I see, oh, there it is. Forget about it. I can walk around the room, whatever I need. I know it's right there. I don't hope for it. I don't wait for it anymore. But Paul says, but if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And there's a reason why the Lord, you know, made it that way. There's a reason why He didn't give us the full blueprint and the whole, the whole plan. I look at my life and I look at things that have happened in my life and I think, man, Lord, what's the purpose of this? And God says, man, I can't give you the whole blueprint. And there's a reason why God didn't give us the whole plan. Right? All of us have all these questions. Why, 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 why? How, 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 how? And Lord, what if? But God says, man, there's a reason why I do this. Right? Because if we would be able to see it, man, all right, cool, I see it. I know why. All right, cool. Go on with my life. But when we don't see it, he says, man, we eagerly wait with it. Wait for it with what? With perseverance. And that's what the Lord is desiring to cultivate in us. Man, that perseverance. Going, all right, I know it's there. God, you promise. You're faithful. You've never lied. So I'm going to continue to persevere. Why? Because I know that's, that, that I'm going to receive it. Lord, I know it's there at the end of the tunnel. Right? So that's perseverance. In verse 26, and we'll finish with 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Don't you love that? For we do not know what we should pray for as we are. It says, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Notice that. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. You may have been with us through Romans 1 through 8 and think, man, like all this stuff seems kind of unattainable, right? Walking after the Spirit, starving the flesh, giving myself over to the Spirit continually, kind of seems, seems hard. How can I do this? And, and Paul, through the Holy Spirit, would say, hey, look, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. You're not alone in your weaknesses. You are not alone in your weaknesses. God is with you. Hey, the Spirit of God is there with you. Says, and more than that, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. Jesus there in John 14, as he would uh, give the promise of the, of, the, of, the, of the Holy Spirit to come, he, was, he would call him hey, the helper, meaning the parakletos in the, in the Greek. And that word means one who comes alongside of you. And that's who the Holy Spirit is. That he not just dwells in you, but he comes alongside of you in your weaknesses. All right, angel, you're struggling with this? Look, man, boom, 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 boom. Hey, angel, you're, you're weak in this area. Hey, you're, you lack strength. Hey, this and that, whatever. The Holy Spirit goes alongside of us, strengthening us. Helping us in our weaknesses. He says, for we do not know what we should pray for as we should. He says, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Man, there's some things, sometimes, you just, man, you don't even know how to pray for, some, for certain things. You're like, man, I don't even know what to say. 
some of my, my, my best times in prayer are just while I'm just there before the Lord and I don't say nothing. And, and it's okay if you, if you don't know how to pray, if you, if you have no words. Sometimes those are the best prayers. The Bible tells those times where you just come before the Lord and you're like, man, Lord, I don't know what to say. So the Holy Spirit is just going to have to intercede on my behalf right now. And that's good. It's a good thing. Because there's sometimes there's things that come in our lives that, man, we don't know what to say. We don't know how to even pray for this. Right? And God says, all right, man, just let the Holy Spirit intercede. Why? He says, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts, that's God, the Holy Spirit, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I'm so thankful for that because so many times I know that I've prayed selfish prayers. Lord, this is that and the other. I know uh, there's, a, there's an ounce of selfishness in there because I want this thing or I want this, whatever the situation may be. And I'm thankful that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, for all the saints, that means all the believers, according to the will of God. I love that because my prayers go through the filter of the Holy Spirit who is interceding and praying on my, on my behalf for the perfect will of God. And that's something you could rest in this morning. That as you pray to the Lord, you don't know how God's going to answer, but you could be sure of this one thing. That God is going to have His perfect will done in your life, no matter what. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much.